Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Come on, Romans chapter number four. We've been in a series called Back to the Basics. Back to the Basics. I love you found this in your journey with the Lord that sometimes the way to go forward is to actually go backward. I'm not saying backslide into sin, but <laughs> somebody's like, all right, <laughs> come back. <laughs> but I mean, going back to how it started, going back to the fundamentals. So many times we make simple things complex, we make complex things simple. Sometimes we just got to go back to the basics, and that's what we've been trying to do during this series is going back to just the essentials, the fundamental elements of salvation, of justification, of what it means to walk with God. And Romans has been our textbook, and uh, we're in chapter 4 today, and I love this verse. Starting at verse 18, when you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. If you need some time to find it, say, hold up. Okay, I heard that. It's always one. <laughs> Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 18, and it says, Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's one of those scriptures I literally just want to go and it just leave. Oh, that God had the power to do what he had promised against all hope. Abraham in hope believed. I want to preach today using this as a title, Get Your Hopes Up. Get Your Hopes Up. You know you got to help me preach. This is the last time I'm going to tell you to look at your neighbor, but you got to say this title. Just look at any neighbor you want to pick. In front, behind, you pick them, okay? Just say, neighbor, get your hopes up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what's coming against you right now, but get your hopes up. I know the enemy's saying, well, you believe God for that two years ago. It don't matter. Get your hopes up. Well, that's never happened in your family before. Get your hopes up. But well, you've never seen it before. Get your hopes up. Woo. Come on, let's pray, and then you can sit down the rest of service. Father, thank you for your word. God, I know the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word will stand forever. Holy Spirit, use me today. Oh God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Let your word speak with specificity 
to every single issue in this place and somebody who's watching online who's about to log off, but I'm telling them right now to stay logged on because you have a word for them. God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this place. And Lord, today, because I can pray about any and everything, I pray that tonight you would favor your team, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, to defeat every buccaneer from Tampa. In Jesus' name, everybody say, everybody say, you can be seated. In the presence of the Lord. Y'all know how I do. It's going to happen every Sunday, all season long. Deal with it. <laughs> Ooh, get your hopes up. <laughs> oh. Social fam, two, two weeks ago, we were in the house and we were getting ready to leave to celebrate my bride's 35th birthday. And uh, just before we're about to walk out the door, my son, my man-child, who carries my name, and I think my personality, screams from his bathroom upstairs, Daddy, it's ready! Immediately run upstairs, already knowing what he was talking about. The reason I knew is because for the last month and a half, this little boy has been in my face, in my grill, if you will, showing me his grill because he's got his first little wiggly tooth. So he's been in my face talking about, Daddy, is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready? I've been saying, not yet, not yet. I mean, he's been doing this for the longest. You know why? Because he cannot wait to lose this tooth so the tooth fairy can bring him some money, okay? This boy is elated and excited about the tooth fairy bringing him some cash. And he actually has evidence to substantiate his excitement because his older sister has lost eight teeth and got compensated for each one. <laughs> but I don't have the heart to tell him, boy, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> your sister lost her teeth in a different economic climate in which we are living in <laughs> right now. I'm looking for the tooth fairy <laughs> for a gas card underneath my pillow. Anyway. But nonetheless, I, I go upstairs, I go upstairs, and sure enough, there he is in front of the mirror. It's so cute, the little tooth is just barely hanging in there. And so I grabbed my finger, I said, you ready? One, two, three, pop the tooth out. He's so excited. And what I should have done in that moment was I should have just taken that tooth, put it under his pillow, asked him to excuse himself from the room so the tooth fairy could do her magic. And then it would have been there that night. I did not do that because this boy looks at me and he's like, Daddy, can I please take the tooth to show mommy's friends at the party and to show Papa? And he's so cute and he looks like me. How can I deny this little face? So I said, okay, Bubba. So I take the little tooth, we put it in a Ziploc bag and we go to my wife's party. Fast forward towards the end of the night, the party is going on for a while. You know, Pastor Taylor, she's a party animal. Bottles are popping, <laughs> sparkling water. And <laughs> calm down. And, all of a sudden, my, my, my father is getting ready to take little Bubba, my son, back home. He's got school the next morning. So I look at my dad. I said, okay, dad, you take him home. And I look at Bubba. I say, Bubba, now put that tooth that's in the Ziploc bag under your pillow so the, and I looked at my dad, tooth fairy. <laughs> that's how I did it. Tooth fairy 
can bring you some money. That's what I said to my dad. I literally hit him just like that. I said, so the tooth fairy will put some money under there, okay? I want to pause in this part of the story and just let you know that it is important that we understand nonverbal communication <laughs> for our society to flourish, okay? So my father goes home with my son, and we get back from the party. I pass out, I pass out, and I wake up. No, excuse me. I am awakened at 4 53 in the morning. I repeat, awaken. I didn't wake up. I am awakened at 4.53 in the morning with my son in my face holding the Ziploc bag, tooth still in the bag. Talk about the tooth fairy didn't show up, daddy. I'm trying to get myself together. It's 4.53 in the morning. I'm just as shocked and mad as he is. I said, she did it? She didn't. I can't believe it. I wake up. Taylor said, babe, get up, get up. The tooth fairy did not show up. True story. We run upstairs. We run upstairs. We're going through all the pillows. We're going through all the blankets, trying to see maybe the tooth fairy really did. Lisa, nothing under the pillows. And just as soon as we realize nothing that is there, my wife, my bride, my co-pastor, the woman of God, she says, you know what, Bubba? It's the Ziploc bag. I said, huh? <laughs> Bubba said, huh? It's the Ziploc bag. I'm not making this up. She said, the tooth fairy's wings can't fly and hold the Ziploc bag too. You were just supposed to put the tooth by itself <laughs> underneath the bag. I said, yeah, Bubba, let's put it under there just by itself without the bag. <laughs> and sure enough, we put the tooth by itself the next night and the tooth fairy showed up. I'm proud to testify got his money. <laughs> but as I was reflecting on that moment, I was shocked by a couple of things. First, I was shocked by how quickly my bride came up with that story <laughs> of the Ziploc bag. But I was also shocked by how quickly my son, in faith, believed it. I mean, th there was no wavering. It was not, well, why can't she fly? No. He immediately said, oh, okay. In spite of the disappointment, in spite of the setback, in spite of the tooth fairy not showing up on the day that he wanted the tooth fairy to show up, in spite of him feeling like he did everything that was necessary for it to happen, he still had faith to believe it was going to come to pass. He still believed that that which had been promised was going to show up, and it did. Ooh, social fam, to be six again, to be a child again, to just believe without cynicism, to believe without sarcasm, to be able to trust without reservation. I'm just curious as to what my life and what your life would look like if we had that childlike faith where we said, God, I'm just going to take you at your word. And yes, it hadn't happened on my time schedule. And yes, it hadn't happened the way I wanted it to happen. But because you said so, I'm going to believe that it's going to come to pass. I tell you what, it's not until I had children myself that I began to realize what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18. Remember Luke chapter 18 when the kids started coming to Jesus and the disciples started acting stuck up and said, no, get these kids away from the master. He doesn't have time for these children. He said, no, 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 no. Bring the children to me. He says, as a matter of fact, you cannot even receive the kingdom of God unless you become like a child. Become like a child. 
You have to be like a child. It is that childlike faith. Now, here's the issue with this metaphor of being a child and receiving the kingdom. Although I am fully convinced that it has to do with childlike faith and just believing that when God said it, it's going to come to pass, the metaphor has some problems. Because let's be honest, children's brains are still being developed. They are not in the fullness of their cognitive capacity. So of course they believe it. Their brains are still being developed. And the reason I have issue with us just saying, yeah, childlike faith, just believe it when God said it. If you're not careful, you'll think that childlike faith is void of intellect. There are many people today that to think to be a person of faith, you cannot be a person of intellect. That to have a person of faith is somebody that just believes everything and then looks at the facts and says, no, that ain't true. I just believe it. And many people think that faith and intellect are in opposition to each other. But I want to tell you, faith is more than intellect, but it is not less than intellect. Just because I'm a person of faith does not mean I check my brain at the door. I can be a person of faith and still be a person that thinks. I can be a person of faith and still be a person that has intellectual capacity away with this notion that because I'm a person of faith, I can't be a person of intellect too. Because faith is not less than intellect. It is more than intellect, but you can have faith and reason at the same time. How many know many are the scholars and the theologians and the apologists who have all kinds of brilliance, have all kinds of intellect, but at the same time, they have a robust, vibrant faith. Where would we be without those great men and women of God? Where would we be without the Apostle Paul, who was brilliant, who had all kinds of intellect, but he also had an experience with God one day when he was on the Damascus Road, and that experience was so undeniable that it knocked him off his high horse, and he said, yes, I got a whole lot of intellect, but I also got a reason to believe that God can do the impossible, that God can do the supernatural, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask, think, or imagine. So one of the things I want you to get today as we talk about faith is that faith is not in opposition to intellect. It is not in opposition to it. In fact, I love the way Mark Batterson says it. He says, faith is not logical. He says, faith is not illogical either. He says, faith is is theological, God and logic. In other words, I'm not denying the reality of my circumstance. I'm not denying the reality of my situation. I'm just saying when God gets in the equation of my situation, it changes my situation. Uh, I'm not just closing my eyes, trying not to look at the facts. I'm just saying when God gets in the middle of it, it changes the dynamic of the situation. I'm not denying that there's a wall surrounding the city. I'm not denying that this wall is big and there's a lot of mortar in between the brick. I am saying that whenever God has given me a promise, whenever God has given me a word that the city is mine, I have to get the promise. It doesn't matter how thick the wall is. And you can laugh if you want to when I'm walking around that wall and nothing's happening and nothing's moving and it all seems the same. But while you're laughing, please keep looking because when God tells me to shout and lift up my voice, that wall that was a real reality, it's got to come down without a bulldozer, without a demolition team. I'm not denying the reality. I'm just saying when God is in the equation, it changes it. 
I know, I know H2O. I know it's two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen. I know water. I'm just saying, when I've been given a promise that I'm going to get to the promised land, God gives me a word that water is going to have to move and become a wall and become a highway for me to walk through. As a matter of fact, it can become wine if Jesus wants the party to keep going. I'm just saying faith is not in opposition to intellect. Faith also, hear me, needs an object. Faith needs an object. This is important, especially in this culture today, because some of you love my title. You're like, oh yeah, get your hopes up, because you're a positive person. <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell people all the time. Cheer up, buttercup. It's just, <laughs> it's, gonna get, it's gonna get better. But you know what some people in the culture say? And if you're not careful, you'll just have faith in faith, in hope, in hope. I, I can't just have faith just to have faith. What is your faith in? If, if I'm just up here just singing, don't stop believing, hold on to that feel, that feeling, don't leave. <laughs> so what is my faith in? This is why the Bible said that all you need is faith just the size of a mustard seed because it's never the size of your faith, it's always the object of your faith. What is your faith in? Faith is not an opposition to intellect, but faith also needs an object and the reason I can have confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do is because my faith is not in my circumstance. I don't have high hopes just to have high hopes. My faith is in the one who is consistent. My faith is in Jesus. That's what my faith is. Faith must have an object. So when the Bible talks about receiving the kingdom of God like a child, it's not just talking about this childlike faith that is void of intellect. It's not just talking about faith in faith or hope in hope. But it's actually talking about one thing that you cannot have a relationship with God without it. Dependence. That's the true essence of that metaphor, to be like a child. It's how many you know children are completely dependent. They are helpless. This is what the Apostle Paul is actually trying to get into the heart and the heads of the Jewish people and the Gentile people in Rome, trying to get them to understand that you are guilty before a holy God, that your righteousness is as filthy rags. And if you're ever gonna bridge the gap between you and God that sin separates, it is not your record, it is not your performance, it is not your works, it is not your deeds. You have to be completely dependent on what he did. This is what God wants from you. He wants you fully reliant and dependent upon him. Dependence is necessary to have a vibrant relationship with God. Some of you, the reason you having issues is you still trying to be I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. Do you know what that means? I got my own house. I got my own job. I got it, God. Let me just do my thing. That is completely antithetical to the kingdom of God. And no wonder right here in the West, we struggle with this because we pride ourselves in our independence, don't we? Oh, I'm good. I don't need you. Until we hit a situation, we're like, okay, okay, maybe I do, God. Now we run to him. But God's saying, no, I need a relationship with you that is dependent. And this is why a life of faith is necessary. By the way, can I just say this about faith too? Are y'all bored yet? Faith, for those people who say faith, oh yeah, you just have to check your brains at the door. How many know... In a sense, all of us live by faith. To some degree, every single one of us live by faith. 
Prove it, Robert. Okay, I'll prove it to you. How many of you, before you parked in the Lexus garage, got outside of the car and looked at the structural integrity of that parking garage to make sure it could hold your car? Can I see your hand if you did that? Mm, I don't think you did. How many of you came in here today and checked that beautiful plush seat and made sure it could hold you before you sat down? No. You had confidence. You had faith that it would hold you. This week, uh, Pastor Taylor and I, we went to Cooper Clinic and we did like a little checkup. I did a little checkup and uh, we came back. We're healthy. We're good. I'm going to be pastoring until I'm 86, y'all, if I can. Same turn up every single Sunday. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we did our checkup and it was a crazy experience because it was all day. It was all day going from doctor to doctor. You went to the, like the blood doctor and they drew your blood and they're sticking me with stuff and you go to the skin doctor and they check your skin. They check every part of my body. And I was just thinking, I have not seen now, one of their credentials. <laughs> no, for real. I didn't even ask. I didn't even ask. And even if they do have credentials, I didn't even ask, like, did you graduate top of your class or just barely? <laughs> I am getting disrobed and getting poked by somebody. I don't even know what his intellectual capacity is. What if you just barely passed? What if you cheated the whole time you was in medical school? You just practiced it on me. But I walked in <laughs> with... Faith, faith is at the core. It is at the essence of our walk with the Lord. And Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, he uses Abraham as an example to let them know that Abraham who you revere, Abraham who you've been singing this song in Sunday school, Abraham, he was not justified by his works. He was justified by faith. God credited righteousness to Abraham's account, not by his works, but simply because he believed that God was telling the truth, simply because he held on to the promise of God. I love what the apostle Paul does because he uses this beautiful illustration about working and wages. In fact, I'm going to remix the illustration if I can. Can you imagine going to your job and working 40 hours a week and your boss calling you in and saying, you've been doing a great job. You've been performing so well. You worked 40 hours. I just decided I'm gonna bless you today. And they hand you your paycheck for 40 hours. So I just wanted to bless you with that. You would look at him and go, uh, this is not a blessing. <laughs> I worked for every bit of this check. Th that's not a blessing. You gotta change that language. This is not a blessing. <laughs> I earned it. And yet that's how some people think their relationship with God is and righteousness is. If I work, if I'm holy enough, if I come to church enough, if I read my Bible enough, here, here we go, God, I did it. There you go, there's your righteousness. No, 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 no. Paul uses this metaphor. He says you cannot work and then get paid and think that's a gift. The true illustration would be you at a job that you are horrible at, terrible. You messing up at the job every day, failing every day. Can't do nothing right on the job. And as you messing up every day, you're like, I know it's just a matter of time. They're about to fire me. They're about to fire me. I should not allow it on my resume. I am about to get fired. This is the human plight. And they call you in to the office. You already know what's going to go down. I know. What, what this about? Oh, obviously, you know. Yes. Um, we're going to have to let you go. No, that's cool. I saw it coming. You leave. You leave after getting fired because you couldn't meet the standard. But can you imagine if they called you back three days later and said, hey, uh, 
need to talk to you. Am I getting my job back? Oh, no, never. My goodness. <laughs> You're horrible. However, we got another employee in your spot who is perfect. Oh, thanks for telling me. No, they're amazing. Everything you did wrong, they do right. They actually know what they're doing. What you call me for? Well, just, just want to let you know that this employee that we put in your place, who is perfect, that everything you failed in, they did better in. This employee has just decided that they want to pay every debt that you have. Excuse me? Yep. All your debt. They want every debt. Your mortgage, your car note, your Netflix bill, your student loan that was forgiven, they'll pay it again just to make sure in case they try to take it back. What kind of praise would you give God if that happened in your life? That's what you would give. <laughs> that is an illustration for the human predicament as it relates to righteousness. You couldn't perform. You were horrible. And Jesus has come in and he has had the perfect record. And he says, I want to take all your debt and credit you with my righteousness. But watch this. How many of you know if you're going to receive what this new employee wants to do for you, you can't just shout about it. You can't just clap about it. You better take all your bills up to the office and say, okay, here they are. That will actually be the sign that you really believe in what was said to you. You got to bring all your debt and say, this is it. I'm not going to hide any of it. I'm bringing it since you said you're going to pay it. Here it is. I'm bringing it all before you. There has to be some action to it. This is the power of faith. This is why faith can never be passive. Faith is not a noun. Faith is a verb. If you truly believe that it's been paid for you, then you got to just have faith and there ought to be some action with your faith. This is why Abraham is the father of faith. You know why he's the father of faith? Because when God gave him a word and said, I want you to go to a place that I will show you, he did not wait for God to give him all the details. He simply got a promise from God and that promise was enough for him to say, all right, I'll go if you show. If you show me where I go next, I'm going to trust you at your word and go. Faith is action. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. Don't tell me you got faith and you stagnant. Don't tell me you got faith and you've never made a move. Don't tell me you got faith and you've never taken a step. That's why he said walk by faith. He didn't say think by faith. He said walk by faith. There has to be some motion. You got to move. This is the power of Abraham. No wonder Paul in Romans is calling for Father Abraham to come to the testimony and the witness stand and declare that it was Abraham who trusted and believed God. He did not wait for God to show him the full picture. He just said, I'll go. This is how God operates. If you go, I'll show. If you go, I'll show. We don't like that, especially us detailed people. I'm like, no, no, you show. <laughs> then I'll go. God didn't operate like that. He says, if you go, I'll show. And Abraham left his family. He left everything that was comfortable. He left his father's household. Look at him. Walking by faith. 
He's the picture of what it means to be a believer. Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just walking by faith. Where's the next step? He'll tell me. I'm just walking by faith. This is what I love about it because that lets me know I can be in the perfect will of God and not know where I'm going. Because Abraham had to go. He had to leave and trust that God would show him. When was the last time you left your place of comfort to trust God for where he would show you? Or are you stuck and stagnant, screaming to God, show me, then I'll go. And God's looking at you and going, if I didn't do that for Abraham, who still got a song that's on the number one Sunday school billboard chart. <laughs> Why do you think your life <laughs> is gonna be any different? Why do you want a detailed PowerPoint presentation when I've always used the template of if you go, I'll show. Remember back in the day in school, used to have something uh, called show and tell. You ever have that in school? Y'all didn't go to school? Homeschool? <laughs> Uh, they had this thing called show and tell. Remember show and tell? Where you brought something from the house and you would show it and then you talk about it? Yeah. God don't do that. God does tell and show. He'll tell you where to go, then he'll show you later. I, I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You about to get married. For real? Where you at? I'll show you later. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> You about to have your own business. Really? Yeah. When? I'll show you later. And then you'll get fired that day. <laughs> no, I'm talking about faith. <laughs> he will tell you and then show you. He will tell you, I have ordained you to preach the gospel. I have called you to be an orator, to speak the word of God. For real? And nobody will call you to preach. Tell, and then he'll show you later. Because in between the telling and the showing, there's always a waiting. And this is what gets on my last nerve with God. Because if, 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 if I was writing the story of Abraham, oh, it would be so much better. I'm telling you, it'd be a much better story. First of all, his name wouldn't even been Abraham or his first name, Abram. Because <gasps> you know what Abram means? Abram means exalted father. This dude got no kids called Exalted Father. <laughs> I wouldn't even give him that name. It would've been Fred or something else. <laughs> I would not embarrass this dude to be like, hi, I'm Exalted Father. Really, how many kids? Oh, none yet, we're just still believing the Lord. He goes from Exalted Father to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, still no kids, and he's a senior citizen. <laughs> Did you ever think, God, you're just playing games with people? What is going on? If I was writing a story, it would have been different. As soon as he would have trusted me to go, if I'm God, oh, at the third step, Sarah would have had triplets, just pregnant. <laughs> God doesn't work like that. He gets the word from God, the promise at 75. It's not until he's 100 years old that it comes to pass. 25 years 25 years. That's a long time to keep your hopes up. And I felt like I was supposed to preach this because I feel like somebody 
is in the in-between process between the promise that God gave you and the promise manifested in your life. And it seems like your hope is starting to dwindle. And God told me to tell you, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Every single person that God has called by faith has always had to go through the season of waiting. Waiting for that thing to come to pass from the moment that he told you to the moment he's going to show you you have to wait. And the challenge for you and the challenge for me is to not try to help God bring his promise to pass. Should I go there? All right, you gave me the message. I guess I should. Do, do, you remember, do you remember how Abraham and Sarah said, let me help God bring this promise to pass? I actually have issues with the Apostle Paul when I get to heaven. I want to talk to him. Because Paul, how are you going to say in Romans chapter 4 that he never wavered in his faith, that he was unbelieving? That is a whole lot of grace because I read the whole story in Genesis, around about chapter 12. Keep reading that thing. It's crazy the stuff that happened all in between them waiting for the promise. They both laughed out loud when God told them it was going to come to pass. And what you mean they never weakened in their faith? Do you remember all that baby mama drama that happened with Abraham and the little side chick? Hey, God, do you remember that? Because they do what you and I do. They started rationalizing. Well, God, we've been waiting a long time, so maybe you meant that it wasn't going to be Sarah's womb, but it was going to be somebody else's womb. So Sarah's like, why don't you go in there with her and we can help the promise of God? And he's like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, baby, I ain't going to get mad. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. And he goes. And we got a whole situation from somebody trying to help the promise of God come to pass. Remember what the baby's name was? Ishmael. Ishmael. I wonder if they called him Ish. Because anytime you start trying to help the promise of God come to pass, you're going to deal with some Ish in your life because... <laughs> Some of y'all in church with your ish because God told you to wait for the one that you knew God had called you to. But you're like, well, God, he kind of loved you. He prayed before one meal. And you know he's not the one. You know he's not the one that's going to protect your family. You know he's not the one that's going to be a man of God. You know she ain't the one. You met her in the club. How's she going to be the one that God has? And here you are rationalizing well maybe you say you can change anybody they got a good heart really here you are with a broken heart crying dealing with your ish <laughs> because anytime you try to help the promise of God it will become a problem Ladies and gentlemen, there is still conflict in our world right now because of this decision. God says, wait. Wait for the promise of Isaac. Came to tell somebody, get your hopes up. Just because you've been waiting does not mean the promise is not going to come to pass. Get your hope up. Abraham, against all hope, in hope, believed in God. Why do I need hope? Because if you don't have hope, 
you can't have faith. Faith and hope are connected. For faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So if I was the enemy, I actually wouldn't attack your faith. I'll attack your hope. Because if you're not hoping for anything, you won't need faith for anything. So if I was the enemy, if, if I was the enemy, I wouldn't try to attack your faith. I'd kill your hope. I'd make you think that because the promise hasn't come to pass on your time schedule, it's not going to come to pass. I would be in your mind every single morning, making you wake up, not saying, God, thank you for what I do have, and thank you for what you have done. I would make you wake up every morning and find the bad in every situation. I would make you lower your expectation to your experience and tell you that nothing is ever going to get better. I would make you worry and complain to the point that when things go bad, because you have no hope, you'll go, see, I knew it. I knew it. Nothing ever goes right. And then, then when things are going good, you won't hold on to it because you're like, oh, we'll see how long this lasts. This is the cry of the hopeless. The cry of the hopeless is, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I, I knew it was too good to be true. The enemy is after your hope, because if he can get your hope, he can get your faith. But God told me to tell you, you need to remind yourself of the promise of God, that if God said it, it will come to pass. And guess what? It's not going to be your work. It's not going to be your effort. It's your dependence on him that will make the promise come to pass. So instead of rehearsing all the things that could go wrong and all the things that went bad, how about you start rehearsing the word of God? How about you start rehearsing the promise of God? How about you get up every single day and say, this is going to be my last day to worry. This is going to be my last day to complain. If I got to look myself in the mirror and make some daily declarations, I will look myself in the mirror and say, I am who God says I am. I can have what he wants me to have. I can do what he's called me to do. I am who God sees. He's after your hope. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Because if he gets your hope, he's got your faith. Abraham, against all hope, still believed. Worship team, join me. He still believed. I love it because he said he faced the facts. That's why faith is not in opposition to intellect. It's not like he looked at Sarah and said, girl, you still got it. She's a hundred. It's not like he even looked at himself and said, I, I can do it, I can do it, hold on, no. <laughs> he is fully aware of his impotence. See, sometimes we gotta be careful with our confidence because sometimes we're confident, like, I got it, all this self-help stuff. No, I got it, I, I, I'm, I'm enough. No, you ain't. That's what I have to remind myself. You think I'm enough for this right here? It started with 200 people. Look at that balcony. I'm not enough for this every time. I get on my knees and say, God, if you don't show up, God, if you don't speak, I can't. Remind yourself 
of who gave you the promise. Tonight, I'm, uh, I'm going to this church service tonight. And, uh, well, actually, I don't know if I'm going to go. I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's going to be an incredible service. It's here in Dallas. It's at uh, this awesome church called AT&T uh, Stadium. And, <laughs> It's a crazy service. It's a crazy service because you actually have to give an offering before you come in. You have to give an offering. <laughs> you don't just let anybody in. All are not welcome at this church. Just those that give in the offering. And thinking about going in because the enemy, the enemy will be there for sure. No, I'm, 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 I'm being very clear. A, a buccaneer is a pirate. It steals. They kill, they destroy. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking about going to the service. Um, somebody tell Pastor Jerry, give me some seats. And it's going to be powerful. Isn't it amazing in that service how people, different races, different colors, different backgrounds, giving each other high fives, full of the spirit. They lose their inhibitions. <laughs> There's a unity there. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen people, man, if y'all were in the street, y'all wouldn't talk to each other. But in this place, because you're full of a spirit, you're high-fiving. It's going to be a powerful service. And I'm walking in there, watch this, with expectation and hope. And I'll be honest, I do it every year. <laughs> every year. Every year I tell myself I'm not going to, but I do. And the reason my hopes are up, hear me, it's because I know the history. I know it's been 26 years. All y'all haters tell me Abraham waited 25. I know it's been 26 years. Get my hopes up every year. I can't help it because it's been embedded in me. It's been handed down from my father. Look at this picture. That's me. This is a heritage. It's me and my little brother, Herschel Walker. I remember the moments. This is America's day. Hope every year. Continue this legacy of faith. I've continued the legacy of faith. True story. This is how my son came to church today. I'm not making this up. This is how my son came to church. Passing it on. And every year, I have hope, I have anticipation, hear me, on something that is not even guaranteed. How much more as people of faith than in spite of your circumstance, in spite of that doctor's report, in spite 
of everybody telling you there's no way and you don't have the right education and you don't have the right skin color and you don't have the right gender. How can you not fight again for your hope if for 20 plus years I still got a hope on a team that lets me down every year? How much more can people of faith have hope year after year on the fact that God gave you a promise? His word is more sure. His word is more concrete. That's why Paul even goes all the way back to Genesis and say he who called nothing out of something is the one who made the promise. That means even when the situation seems like nothing is happening, even when it's dead, just like Abraham and Sarah's womb, dead is where God begins because he is the one that can speak life. Get your hopes up and hold on to the promise of God. I don't care how long it's been. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Everybody stand, they can. What other option do you have? Walk away. Back on my illustration. What other option do I have? What, become a Steelers fan? What would I know? There's no other option. Every year, I gotta get my hopes up. Hear me. Every day, when God has given you a promise, you do whatever you gotta do. Get your hopes up. You got to make declarations on your wall. You got to tattoo it on your forehead. No, they do this. Paint your face blue and whatever color. Do it. He who began a good work in me shall be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. Whatever you got to do. Get negative people out of your life. There's some people I don't invite over to watch the game. Eagles fans, please. No. I don't need that because I'm trying to keep my hopes up. I want to be in one accord. Whatever it takes, keep your hope up. And your hope is not in hope. It is in a sure foundation. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Oh,